The Victoria was no stranger to holiday crowds, and on Victoria Day, May 24, 1881, many people had traveled between Springbank Park and the city of London, Ontario, up and down the Thames River. The river was notoriously shallow, enough that people would joke about boats traveling up and down it grounding on oyster cans. But a grounding was exactly what had happened to the forest city, meaning that it was no longer available to carry passengers. The burden now fell on the remaining three steam riverboats to bring the holiday crowds back and forth. Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the story, Too Many on the Victoria? Here we are. Enjoy! The Victoria had been built due to the popularity of Springbank Park, once a dam was built there in 1878, turning it into a pleasant boating spot. With such a clear demand for transportation to the park, two boating companies sprang up to ferry customers. The Thames Navigation Company built the Forest City and the Princess Louise. The London and Waterworks Line built the Enterprise and the Admiral. These were all shallow river steamboats of the sort described by the Richmond Hill York Herald as practically rafts with paddle wheels. They had been built with the shallow river that they were to operate in carefully in mind. The Enterprise caught fire and sank in 1878, shortly after she had been built. But the London and Waterworks Line raced her hull, rebuilt and expanded her, and named her the Victoria. The 50-ton Victoria was inspected by the government in Ontario in 1880 and declared ready to go into service. She would continue to pass regular inspections. In total, she had space for around 400 passengers. And on pleasant holidays, she could expect to be filled to capacity, if not a little over. Queen Victoria's 62nd birthday turned out to be a warm and sunny day in London, Ontario a day that made many people think of celebrating it with a ride on one of the riverboats and a day in the park. The year before, the Victoria had ferried at least 1,600 people back and forth between the park on the day that celebrated her namesake, and this year seemed likely to be even busier from the start. Still, it was a day completely without anything of note, other than the high volume of traffic for the Victoria until her fourth and final round trip of the day. With it getting more late, the trip from London to Springbank did not have many passengers, but as the ship pulled up to the wharf at Springbank, a large crowd of people were waiting there for a ride back to town. The passengers who had taken the boat to Springbank were not even able to get off the boat when the crowd wanted to return to London surged on, climbing all over the boat in order to find a place to ride. The captain ordered that some of them would have to get off the boat, but very few people heeded this order, even when he threatened to not leave until midnight if they continued to disregard him. Captain Rankin remembered having a conversation with one man who asked if he was going to be put off and Captain Ramkin simply said that he had better get off. The man proved to be one of the few who listened, 
and though he was undoubtedly frustrated at the time, he could be counted as one of the lucky ones later. Captain Rankin was particularly concerned about the number of people who had crowded on the top and main deck, making the ship alarmingly top-heavy. He was able to get a greater number of people to go to the lower deck, and with this, he decided to make the run back to London due to the order of the manager of the company that owned the boat. In total, he was estimated to have had between 700 and 800 people aboard as he left the wharf. There would later be multiple stories about what exactly upset the ship, and it is possible that all of these events were all partially to blame. Captain Rankin observed that he saw people on the lower deck singing and moving around, which caused the ship to list a starboard. Another passenger claimed that some of the younger people on the upper deck had entertained themselves by going back and forth so that the ship would tip one way or another, and that when they were told to stop, they said that if the boat sank, they could just wade to shore. As the water started to creep onto the lower deck, Passengers instinctively moved away from it, causing the boat to rock in the other direction, and then people would move away from that side. Some passengers would later say that the ship's officers told them to stop moving around, but that they were disregarded, while other passengers said that they had not heard the officers say anything. A few passengers became so alarmed by the rocking of the ship that they dove into the water and swam to shore, finding that a more comfortable option. The ship had several stops to make between Springbank and London, but at every stop, Captain Rankin refused any additional passengers. Captain Rankin, who was at the wheel, began to feel the boat responding differently, and he sent a boy down to check with the engineer. The engineer sent up grim news. If they could not right the boat, they would indeed be in danger. The ship's list to the right side was even more pronounced now. Herbert Parrish, the son of the manager of the company who owned the boat, as well as the ship's engineer, was aboard and came to Captain Rankin to complain that there were a lot of young men on the lower deck who would not keep quiet. Mr. Parrish would later say that he told Captain Rankin he would have to run the boat ashore but Captain Rankin would say that he never had been told that. In any case, he thought that the bank was too steep along the edge of the river in this spot to run her ashore. That was not to say that the Captain Rankin was taking the situation lightly. He looked around and saw a sandbar 200 yards ahead and decided that his best course of action would be to beach the boat. He would not make it, however. As Captain Rankin set his course to ground the boat, Two boats came alongside them, racing, and the passengers rushed to the side to watch them. Water was now coming into the area with the engine, and the engineer sent up word to Captain Rankin that he intended to try to bring passengers into the aft of the ship more, in the hopes that water would not encroach on the boiler. Before he could do so, the passengers rushed to the port side of the ship, dragging the poor bow into the water. Some of the passengers would later say that the rush to port was because the captain or one of his officers went through the crowd and told them to go to the other side if they did not want to swim for it. If this was said by Captain Rankin, he did not include it in his statement. 
This proved to be too much for the ship's boiler, and the boiler went crashing through the port bow of the ship, leaving a hole that spelled the end for the Victoria. The boiler also took with it the stanchions of the main deck of the boat. The upper deck had been held up with stanchions from the main deck, and there were no braces. With the main deck compromised, the upper deck came crashing down, trapping those below. The calamity was compounded by some of those who had been able to escape from the main deck and lower deck, climbing onto the now floating upper deck, pressing it down on those below. A leather worker named Mr. Montgomery managed to catch a hold of an iron bar in the awning, which had been overhead of him shortly before while he stood on the promenade of the boat. All around him were people in the water, struggling and sinking, but he managed to drag himself hand over hand up the sinking awning and managed to find a place to rest on the hull of the half-submerged riverboat. Two people who had clung to him as he dragged himself from the water were also brought to safety. Once on the wreck, Montgomery found a piece of rope and used it to pull out a man who was about to sink from exhaustion, as he was swimming with a boy carried on his back. With more people now to help them, Montgomery was able to pull up the awning, freeing the people who had been trapped beneath it, many of whom were women and children. Alexander Hardy, a medical student who had found himself a place at the bow of the lower deck, climbed to the upper deck when the accident happened but rather than remain on the deck, he dove off and swam to shore. Once on shore, he was able to throw a post to a man who had been struggling to swim behind him. He and the other few around him began throwing pieces of wood from a fence into the water, so that people who could not swim would have something to float with. Not satisfied with what he could do from shore, Hardy didn't even take the time to untie his shoes. Instead, he cut the laces and dove back into the water returning to the wreck. He managed to find a boat, and using this, he saved three women. He had seen where one of the women's husbands had been trapped under the part of the decking, and he tore it off, but it was too late to save him. All around, people struggled in the water, found things to hold on to, swam for shore, or, like the passenger William Duffield, who found that himself and his sons had managed to find themselves standing on a piece of the riverboat, which had broken off and formed a small raft. They too began to save who they were able to, but like every other rescuer, they found that they were not able to save everyone. The two men who had inadvertently caused this disaster with their boat race immediately returned and did everything they could do to pull people from the water, saving around 15 people between the two of them. A passenger named John Fitzpatrick saved his wife and daughter, as well as his granddaughter, by swimming to shore with his wife and daughter each in an arm, and his baby granddaughter's clothing in his teeth. Two men who had been skinny-dipping in the river when the disaster happened went to help only to be dragged down by the very people they were trying to save. Sir John Carling, a member of Parliament who had been taking a hack back to London when they came within sight of the sinking Victoria. Carling and the hack driver pulled as many people out of the river as they were able, and then used the hack to carry some of the women home.
The Princess Louise came upon the shipwreck about five minutes after the Victoria had sank. Her captain ran his ship aground intentionally, disembarked all of his passengers, and did what he could. The Princess Louise would soon have the heavy duty of carrying the remains that were pulled from the water back to London. Some of these victims, it was alleged, were looted by people who were pulling them out of the water until the police mounted a guard on the Princess Louise. The exact number of victims was never firmly decided, but it lays between 185 and 200 most likely. For a town like London, with a population at that time of 19,000, everyone's life was touched by the tragedy. The only business in town that remained open were those who handled funeral matters. Entire families were gone. Two days of mourning was declared in the town, and a month of wearing black armbands for citizens of London was declared, out of respect of those who had been lost. In the poorer areas of town, city authorities gave away coffins, and for days, funeral processions took over the streets of London. Before the burials were done, there was already a look to those who owned the boat, those who had inspected the boat, and Captain Rankin for answers as to what had happened. It did not take long for serious accusations to be levied. Captain Rankin would place the blame on rowdy passengers on the lower deck and called them a bad crowd. He would state that if the crowd had not rushed to the port of the boat, she probably would have been fine even if he had not reached the sandbank since her pumps were doing a good job keeping control over the water, and she was beginning to get higher in the water. He felt that there had been, at most, 450 passengers on board, since he did not know how it would have been possible for more to fit. Passengers, and even the manager of the company that owned the boat, disagreed with him. One passenger said that there had not been enough space for anyone to move, and that he could not have even fit a finger through the crowd. The manager of the company said that he believed that the fault was not due to a fault in the boat, but rather in overcrowding, and he admitted that there were probably 600 people on board. His son had been the one to tell Captain Rankin about the rowdy people on the lower deck. He was among those who did not escape when the ship sank. With him also went the ship's purser the 16-year-old son of the ship's builder. The inquest did blame overcrowding, but the build of the boat as well as the maintenance of the boat also came under scrutiny. It was put forward by one of the passengers who had been on the lower deck, and who had therefore been able to see the boiler when it shifted, that there had been nothing holding the boiler in place other than its own weight. The trust on stanchions alone to support the deck was also called into question. This was not helped by the discovery that the Victoria's certificate of seaworthiness had expired two days before the disaster, though Captain Rankin would say that that had been due to a misunderstanding, and he had no idea that his boat was operating illegally the day of the accident. The captain and Parrish were leaving the courtroom after an inquest over one of the victims, and they were arrested for manslaughter. The charge did not stick, but it was clear who the public felt were responsible. The Victoria was broken up in recovery efforts, 
but her boiler remained at the bottom of the Thames River, where it was a popular dive spot for some time. With the ship no longer a reminder of the tragedy, there was a lot of talk about how best to honor those who had been lost. Initially, there was talk about a stone monument in the cemetery, but it was decried as an empty gesture for the families who had lost their breadwinners. A few months after the sinking of the Victoria, some of the parents who had lost their children collected a fund to build a small building to act as an infirmary and a school at the local orphanage in memory of their children. Queen Victoria also sent her sympathy to the town of London. It was a tragedy that had occurred during a celebration of her birthday on a ship that had been named after her. For more information, please see the New York Times from May 27, 1881, or see our other sources in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.